Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Hey, it's great to be here again with uh, our very good friend and just a wonderful person, by the way, Dr. Robbie Sondrega. I think of all the people that I've had the privilege of meeting around the world, Dr. Robbie's one of the most genuine, authentic and honest people when it comes to life. And that's probably one of the great reasons why I'm so looking forward to our discussion uh, today around family and the importance of it and how to build healthy families. Uh, Never has there been a time when families come more into focus than right now. Uh, We're all, what, with working from home or distance separating us. I think families come into high resolution for all of us and we're going, wow, how do I do this space better? And I think we've all got to understand the significance of it and how much it impacts us. So welcome, Dr. Robbie Sondrega. Thank you so much for having me again, Pastor Jeff. You should be my PR manager. I mean, that was such a wonderful, you know, like, you know, verbal blurb of, of gushing niceness. But Thank it's all you. true. I, <laughs> I genuinely feel that about you. Uh, look, you've got a family. How many children do you have now? Yeah, well, well, there's five children, two dogs, 15 chickens, eight ducks. Like the list, I, um, it's just beyond me. <laughs> Please pray for me. I need all the help that I can get. I think, though, if I can jump right off from that, isn't it true family is the only thing that's really easy for most people to get into to start, but there's no manual. You know, I remember coming home after the birth of my first child and you go, wow, that is the most miraculous thing I've ever seen on planet Earth. However, there's no, like, rule book that covers every circumstance or situation. There's no frequently asked questions at the back of the manual, all of a sudden you've got this child. And I think I spent, well, a lot of time in the first few years going, oh, what do we do here? Hey, it's a big space, isn't it? It is a big space. And look, there's not just one kind of child manual because there's so many different phases of childhood. There's the preconception phase, then there's the pregnancy phase, and then there's the post birth uh, phase of that surviving that first year. And then they go into the toddler surviving the first year. (laughs) I told you he was honest and authentic. That's the guy. (laughs) And then you've got kids and then what do you do when the teenager twilight zone hits? Like it's like another <laughs> vortex. And then, and then all of a sudden you're sad because they're gone. And then you start to look back and with great regret, I could have done that better. I should have done that. Like, oh. where was I then? And, and so we beat ourselves up for the rest of our lives. Maybe not. Yeah, hopefully not. I think a lot more of us get it done right than get it done wrong. But anyway, I think the other thing we ought to say right at the outset is that we're recognizing here in this service that there's all different kinds of expression of family and not all of them look like the traditional nuclear style family. There's grandparents that I know that are raising a grandchild. There's single parents, there's single grandparents that are having a significant input to that. There's all kinds of expressions of that. Can I jump right in, though, something that's very pertinent to us here, particularly in Western Australia. For many people that are a part of this service, FIFO life is the normal life. Yes. And so there is a reasonable period of time where mum or dad is mum and dad, 
Until, so when you say FIFO, what you're saying is fly in, fly out. Uh, yes, thank you for that. So, yeah. so dad's often away or mum's often away, either yeah. military families or mining families, those yeah. kind of families. Is that what you say? So you've traveled a lot. How many weeks a year are you normally away? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough question. Well, at the moment, I can with great <laughs> delight say I am home all of the time as a responsible father and husband. Uh, yeah, but when COVID is otherwise not on our doorsteps, I would be away roughly 10 days a month. So that's a third of the year. So your wife, Nolene's a beautiful woman and a clinical psychologist in her own right. How yeah. do you guys, I want you to speak to a minute for uh, our families for a whole lot of reasons, whether they're actually FIFO workers or not, but we're a large chunk. Maybe you've got both parents working outside the home in de very demanding jobs. It changes the dynamics a lot. How have you guys navigated that for your family? Well, I think it's important to say right from the outset, I don't think there's a one size fits all for families. And so what we do as a family might be completely different or unsuitable for another family. And so we've tried lots of different things over the years with the primary goal of trying to keep our family connected wherever possible. So we even um, traveled as a family for uh, years on end, really homeschooling our kids with a nanny with us. Um, so we would spend three months in every location. So three months in Asia, three months in Europe, three months in America and come back home for three months. Um, obviously the kids got to a stage where they needed to have friendships and join a football team and, you know, be live normal life. And so what we've decided to do over the last several years now is wherever I go, if it's possible, I'll take one of the children with me and we'll just take them out of school. They can take some schoolwork with them, but they'll come on a ministry adventure. They'll get to see places around the world and actually get to see what the ministry is all about so that it's not just absent dad who's gone again, abandoning the family, but no, they're now a part of it. And wherever we go, wherever possible, we actually put them to service as well. And if it's not one of the kids, then it'll be my wife who will accompany me and we'll do seminars together. How important do you think that is bearing in mind i would know like if you work in a mine site for instance it's probably maybe uh one day a year where you might be able to bring your family the rest of the time you can't but you don't actually have to physically take the child with you for them to feel a part of what dad or mum does is family purpose Yes, so research is really interesting um, on this particular question because just like you said, you don't actually have to physically go. I mean, that's what we try and do as a family, but for families that that's not suitable, what research shows is the number one thing that's crucial for the well-being uh, of children, especially for their mental and emotional health, is accessibility. So if they can access mum or dad, even if it's by WhatsApp or FaceTime or something like that, if I've got a homework question that I don't know how to resolve, if I can send mum or dad a message and say, hey, I've got a question and mum or dad says, great, well, when I'm finished work, I'm going to be right back uh, and we'll talk about it. And if I can access my mum or dad, that's the winner move right there, accessibility. Can I ask you off that uh, with there was a big kind of buzzword a few years back, quality time versus quantity time. And I think for some parents, they got to feel like, so if I shave this to the barest amount, that works. But it, I'll never forget a message you spoke here uh, to a leaders gathering a bunch of years ago about prioritizing 
the roles of your life. I'll never forget it because everybody goes, I'll put this first and this first and, and this second or whatever. And you threw the whole thing out in, on its end. Do you remember that? I, I do, yeah. Tell us yeah, again what that was, how you expressed that. It was brilliant. So classically, the old school, you know, Christian conservative family says, well, God is at the top of the list. Then comes family. Uh, then comes work. Then comes, um, you know, whatever it might be, exercise, finance, blah, 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 blah. And so, so it's all the, way, all the way down the list. But if we drew up a circle and we started dividing up the pie, okay, so so this God gets, you know, the largest, the lion's share, one quarter of the pie, and then there's, you know, 12.5% for the wife, and then there's, um, I've got five children, so that's like, you know, 10% each, that's a, that's a whole 50% right there, and then there's little time left for anything else, and so so what do we do? But if you were to present that plan to God and say, God, what do you think of my plan? I've given you a whole 15%. God will be like, I'm not happy with this plan. I want all of you. I want 100%. And it's not about a pie that gets divided up. It's a different dimension because my family operates in ministry together with me in faith. Everything that we do is with and for God. And so everything that we do is with and for family. These are the priorities. Uh, and so we are integrating the various different aspects of our lives. And when it comes to your topic or your question about quality time versus quantity time, there are two different sides of that coin. And on the one hand, it can be said, well, there is no such thing as quality time apart from quantity time because quality time can't be planned for. Quality time is not defined as we went on a fishing trip and that was the quality time because we did something exciting together. But in actual fact, it might be on the drive home from the fishing trip when you've had such a good time, somebody tells a joke and, and dad and, and child or mom and, 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 and son are, are, are sitting there and they look at each other. And in that moment, as they lock eyes with a big smile on their face, that three seconds right there, that was the quality time. It couldn't be planned for. It came out of quantity time. So, so that's on the one side of the coin. But on the flip side of the coin is research kind of indicates that the, the moment or the timing of the quality is key. So when a child typically comes and they say, hey, dad, hey, mom, can I show you something? Or they've drawn a picture or um, I've got a question for my homework that I don't understand or I got this new you know, award at school or toy, whatever it might be. Don't you find it interesting that they are able to pinpoint the most inappropriate time to come and show you or share with you that thing? And you're like, no, like if like, okay, just give me half an hour. I've just got to get this done. I've got no time right now, sweetheart. You know, I, I still love you, but you know, you have to go, go away and then I'll come back. Now, what, what the research shows is if you go back in, in half an hour's time or in an hour's time when you are now free and you come to that child and say, now, what was it, sweetheart, that you wanted to show me? the chances are the child will say, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, the, the moment has passed. In other words, it's much better to spend 30 seconds with the child when their attention is at the highest point, when they are eager to, to show you or share with you something than it is to spend 20 minutes longer. So it's not about the duration of the quantity time in this particular scenario, but rather it's the timing of the quality so that when the child's heart is open and they want to share, stop everything, engage the child at their eye level, full 110% you know, attention. What is it that you want to show me? Great, fantastic. You know what? I want to even see more of this afterwards. Let me come back in half an hour and you can show me more. 
Can I come back to you about some of the comments you made about they sound to me like family purpose. And I don't hear much conversation about that generally in our society. And yet it's fairly foundational, I think, because all unity has to be around something. So we're either making our unity as a family around the fact of our biological connection that we happen to be all in the same or in the same house. But what you're positing to us is something slightly larger and more significant than that, that each one of our children from the word go understand we are all a part of something greater than us, the will of God for our life. And I'm not trying to be just spiritually cliched about it. I think there's something very powerful in that that provides a greater cohesion, uh, a glue, if you like, for family outside of just, I go to my job. Yeah, look, in our family, uh, we describe this as our family's superhero power. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you before, but every family um, has superhero powers and every child wants to be a superhero. Well, the good news is they get to be if we're able to frame it right for them. And so I've sat my kids down and explained, look, Superman or Wonder Woman or whoever the superhero might be, um, they're they're not just um, having superhero powers, they're a superhero. Uh, It's not their power, however, that makes them a hero, but rather it's their core value. So the example I'll often use is if Superman is sitting watching the the grand final and it's like, you know, 30 seconds to go and it's the final kick and and the team is about to win and and it's like tied, you know, the the, the score is even. And and so this is the final kick. And and just as they're about to take the kick, he hears with his supersonic hearing this girl falling from the bridge, you know, 10 miles away. In this moment, he's got a decision to make. Do I watch the final kick and, and see who won the grand final or do I deny my myself, sacrifice my pleasure in this moment to serve somebody else. And if they choose to serve, that right there is their superhero power. And I say superhero, not superpower. It's the superhero power because they've chosen to deny themselves. He didn't have to, and he still got the powers, but that would make him a supervillain not a superhero. And so we get to be superheroes as well when we know what are our family core values. What are the things that drive us together or that cohesively bind us together? And so when we encourage families to identify, and every family has them, but they just haven't identified them, brought them Talk to us about how you help people. Because again, I'm imagining someone who's a part of this service and they're, they're listening to you and they go, Look, that sounds amazing, but you are a clinical psychologist. You know, hello, Prince Charles learnt to ski because of you. Uh, All these other great things that you've done around the world. But I don't know any of that stuff. How do I even have a conversation that's ongoing? How do I start a conversation with my children? How old are they? Four, five, ten, whatever. Or maybe they've never done it. Now their kids are teens. Where do you start with that? Simply by asking the kids who are primarily their superheroes, like who are their favourite cartoon characters or whoever it might be, something out of Star Wars or it might be the more contemporary uh, movies or the more obscure ones that, that, that are online today. And whoever they are, bring them up, okay, write them down, and then we say, okay, so what is it that makes you like this superhero better than that superhero? What qualities and characteristics do they possess beyond the superhero 
powers of being able to jump over a building a super single bound or fly or you know laser whatever now what are the qualities and characteristics now let's extrapolate those if we were to implement let's just say three to five maximum no more than five qualities or characteristics that you really admire what would they be and then we can pull them all together but even though we're inviting the child to be a part what seems like a democratic process no no no. family is not a democracy it's a dictatorship and mum and dad are the emperor they're the king of the queen of their castle they have subjects and the subjects are children and we get to determine what are the manners of the manner if you will and so we will choose from the list these are our family core values and we communicate these. So whenever I'm away, because I'm a FIFO dad as well, fly in, fly out, always on the road somewhere overseas. Um, Whenever I'm having a Skype or a phone call with my child, before the call ends, I'll say, hey, just quickly, what are our five family core values? And then list them. And so so ours are, and if you don't have any and you want to use ours, feel free, and anyone is watching, ours are honour, generosity, attitude, gratitude, and excellence. Real simple, nothing too fancy, nothing too flash. And so the kids will recite these and then I'll choose one. I'll say, tell me, what does honour mean? Because for a six-year-old, it might be a very difficult concept. But when they're teaching, when they're doing the articulating, it's just continually being ingrained into them. It's a little bit like asking the two-year-old to say thank you or to say please when they're asking for something. They don't understand why, but this seems to be a magic word. When I say please, I get the thing. Uh, But we're just training the child, train a child in the way in which they should go. And when they are older, they will not depart from these core values. A famous uh, psychologist, and I think he was a neurosurgeon as well, Dr. Viktor Frankl, who wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning. I'll never forget reading that now quite old book, where at the end he suggested that there ought to be a, uh, a complementing statue of the Statue of Liberty somewhere or other else, either in America or in England, called the Statue of Responsibility. And you are... Uh, putting out to us there not only the fun part of family and finding ways to engage you know I can only imagine that for you know your 10 year old or whatever to go on a trip with dad and I think you've had two of your children come visit us here and it's been great Uh, but that would be a real highlight for them but now you're talking about the responsibility and often in family we are choosing all of one without the other. So families where it's all quite regimented and, you know, dad the autocrat or mum the autocrat, you've got to do what they say, here's all the rules, without a lot of fun. I can remember my dad and I had a good family upbringing, there were boundaries. My brother and I were talking the other day about how dad would lie on the uh, sand at the beach and somersault us over his head, as in we would come running up our hands on his knees and he would toss us over and both of us still remember that even though we only went on holidays when I was a kid twice probably to a beach anyway Um, and there was the fun part of it but it wasn't all fun I I see parents try to produce all fun so everything's about making the kid happy and the other one is about everything's about control and really neither of them end up with great results talk to us about children's input. You've made some really good points here, Jeff, because research backs up the idea that it's not the big things. It's not the 
family trip that we saved off for and went off to Disneyland and that was the the pinpoint moment of our childhood. No, actually, it's the small daily rituals that make the biggest difference. And so if you've got a daily ritual where you, I don't know, fill in the blank, pray for your kids every night before going to bed, the the kids will start to call out for it. Mom, Dad, you haven't prayed for me before going to bed. Can you come and pray for me? When your children are asking you to pray for them, you know this is a great thing. Mm -hmm. And when you actually are able to then flip it and say, okay, I've prayed, now you pray. And by the way, I'm scratching your back. So, so don't just pray one of those, oh, dear God, you know, help me sleep well. Amen. Um, for as long as you want me to scratch your back, pray. And now we're, we're teaching our kid to pray. I loved those times when my mom would scratch my back is what the memory will be. Yeah, right. And I would pray and spend, it's just a daily ritual. Or it might be around the dinner table where you're simply asking or playing the game Hilo. Hilo is what's the high of your day and what's the low of your day. And after you finish sharing, choose somebody else in the family and take turns. These simple daily rituals are what what are pretty much like to use one for a terrible stereotype, the glue that binds the families that ritual together stay together. That is so true. What about uh, family chores or tasks or... Because I personally am a big fan of them in that I help, I think they help create the understanding with the child, we're all in this. This is not just flowing down blessing from the top. It's the same as God does with all of us, God the Father. He says, come, I've got all grace. All grace abounds. It's all love. It's all, look at all these blessings. Hey, choose life. And we've got all this amazing stuff. And then we turn up ready to go, wow. And he goes, guess what? While you're here, I'd like you to do this. See that gift in you? That's not about you. That's about other people. And it's almost like he starts training us up from the word go into a thing that's not obligation, but it becomes joy. And so in healthy families, children don't go, oh, do I have to? Well, at least that's not the resonant attitude. It's this is just the way family works. I'm a contributor. Yeah, it's so funny. Because even though, you know, healthy families, <laughs> what, yeah, I didn't say perfectly. every child is going to say that from time to time. Why is it always me? <laughs> yeah. But when they have their own responsibilities that are week in, week out, then that statement actually evacuates from their dialogue or from their language. And, and in actual fact, um, going back to your idea of the Statue of Liberty and the Statue of Responsibility, which I haven't heard before. I'm a big fan of Viktor Frankl, and, and I've not heard that statement. That is genius. In fact, we have a family quote of the week. So every week I will write on our blackboard, which is in the middle of our dining room, a um, massive wall, basically an entire wall, where I write what's the family quote of the week, something that we're going to learn on, chew on, discuss about, you know, reflect on. And it just happens this week to be there are a few things more important than life in life than taking personal responsibility. And so each of our kids have their own weekly personal responsibility tasks that they don't earn money for. Uh, this is not we are giving you pocket money. Our kids get pocket money, but we're not giving you pocket money for these tasks. These tasks are you making a valuable contribution to our family because when you make a valuable contribution, well, value is the same as worth. You've probably heard me say it before. Self-worth is the same as self-esteem. Self-esteem is the pathway to self-confidence. This is how we build robust kids by making sure that they are contributing value to the family. Can I just get you to address this for a minute? Because I, I, again, don't ever hear this language much in family in the wider world. 
because everything you've been saying today, which I love, and I, I look back and I go, yeah, we did that right. Like every parent, I look back and go, wish I'd done that better. But really what you're suggesting to all of us is not a, an hierarchical, positional place of authority. I'm dad, I'm mum, don't you know? I gave birth to you, you know, whatever. But you're really talking about leadership in the family. And that seems to me to be fundamentally important. If we're going to build healthy families, we've got to lead family. That means we've got to go, part of my role here is to lead this. Many of the people that are part of this service are leaders in their community, in their university, in their clubs, in their workplaces. And it almost seems to me, but when it comes to family, no one ever puts the leadership hat on and goes, I'm here to lead this. Yes. Yes, it's great. Uh, we live by a particular philosophy or a motto that leading works, works best when you've got the noose or the, the, the lead around the right position or part of, of the body. And, and, and in family, it's not the throat like the dog mm -hmm. with the lead. It's, it's actually the heart. Wow. If you can capture your child's heart, you gain everything. You gain their behavior also. However, in our world, we are so focused on behavior management. I just want them to do what they're told to do when it, to do it when I tell them to do. And so we're so focused on getting on, on what they should do and what they shouldn't do that we forget to focus on who they have the opportunity to become. We're always focused on the what wow. instead of the who. That is and like so, absolute gold right there. You should say that again. Well, in our family, our motto is... Um, rules before relationship results in resentment and rebellion whereas relationship before the rules results in respect so we want to capture wow. the child's heart so that we get their respect also you can't mandate respect you will respect me because that will only produce compliance where they'll say okay i'm sorry or yes mom or whatever it is and then as soon as you walk out of the room you're not doing whatever it might be so so we don't want that we want their heart we want genuine authenticity and you can only get that um by or engaging the relationship first I don't think I've ever heard anybody uh, discuss family or had a conversation with someone where my mind doesn't go to the things that I wish I'd done better. And I've yet to meet a parent who hasn't felt that. Again, partly because there was no rule book handed to you at the birth of your child, if you have children. Um, and I'm also aware there are some people that are part of this that don't have children either by choice or whatever circumstance of life. And yet every one of us are a part of the family of God for a start. And so everything you're saying in this service, everything applies to the family of God the same. The same stuff of rules before relationship produces resentment, ultimately rebellion, whereas relationship before rules uh, promotes respect. And I think how true that is in the body of Christ, where so often the church is seen to be about behavior management rather than about relationship and the grace that that imposes on us as a responsibility. Um, big fan. Look, we're running out of time. I, I have absolutely loved this. I think this is amazing, and I predict everyone's going to watch it two or three or four or five times. I'd love you to pray again, Dr. Rob, because my heart always goes out to the families that are doing it tough maybe they're a part of this service and they're going, oh God, I've done it so wrong. I have no idea where to start now. Maybe they're 
the parent of an incredibly rebellious teenager or a child they don't know what to do anything with. And first and foremost, the Bible comes back and says, if you lack wisdom, come to God. He will yeah. give it to you without critical uh, assessment of why, how you ended up where you are. And I love that about God. Would you pray for all of our families, please, and that God will help us? Yeah, because we do. We need all the help that we can get. And, and even, even clinical psychologists need help and pastors need help. And, uh, you know, no one is perfect, and, uh, but we're in this together. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much that um, these topics that we've been talking about today, even though this is a service that's really practical and, and less perhaps theoretical, and, uh, but it's definitely spiritual, these concepts that we've been talking about are so near and dear to your heart because they go to the centre of relationships. And so even though there might be families, God, that are not, not, not parents of children or may have been parents one day and their kids have grown up and might be thinking that this doesn't relate to them, God, I thank you that this relates to every single one of us because every one of us are in relationships. And if we can take these principles that we've been talking about today and apply them in whatever relationships that we find, I pray, God, that you would breathe your breath of fresh air on them, that they would spring back to life, God, that you would help us to even just take one or two of the things that we've learned today and be intentional about applying them this week. And we do it not just so that we can improve in our relationships or in our parenting or in our marriages, but God, ultimately, that we can bring you glory. I thank you, God, that you've modeled this with your own son, that you said, well done, or this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I just thank you so much, God, that you've already set the blueprint for us and help us now to, to emulate that in our own relationships so that we can ultimately bring you glory in everything we do. So we thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Help us to pay it forward now. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, Dr. Robbie, that is absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Now, I'm really looking forward to next week. Uh, oh, yeah. I believe that we're going to be talking, you're going to be talking about how to fight right. Roll up your oh, sleeves. Oh, brother. That's going to be so great. Listen. championship of Western Australia. Hey, please give our love to Nolene and to your children. Let them know that. There's people out there that are proud of their dad and husband and people that are so pleased that there's a family that says, we're releasing dad to go and do these things. Uh, we love that. So thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you next week uh, for another great session. Thank you. Thank you. God bless everyone. Thanks.